fans and welcome back to the san francisco giants edition of the for the fans by the fans podcast where we bring you your weekly dose of all things san francisco giants baseball from the fans perspective i'm a lifelong giants fan and your host benjamin shapiro as the giants pitching staff flounders and the team sits a few games below 500 we turn our attention to more competitive subjects today and welcome adam marks a long-suffering cleveland indians and cavaliers fan to talk both american league baseball and the nba finals But before Adam reminds us about Kyrie Irving's last-second heroics in 2016, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you on behalf of our friends at Fanatics. Fanatics is the global leader in licensed sports merchandise. They have the world's largest collection of official sports apparel from the leagues, teams, and players that you love. So if you're looking for your J.R. Smith jersey... You can head over to fanatics.com or you can do us a favor and go to ftfbtf.com slash fanatics and they'll kick us a couple of bucks to help pay for the production of this show. With that said, Adam, it's been a while. Welcome to the show and to the NBA Finals. How you doing, bud? It is a pleasure to be here. I am ready, willing, and able to answer your questions and perhaps get my heart rate down maybe a couple beats. It's been a rough day. On a scale of one to um, jumping off the bridge... Mm. How do you feel after J.R. Smith caught an offensive rebound with four seconds left and decided to dribble it to the liquor store? You know, in the moment, I wanted to pull my hair out and I was screaming in front of the TV as I do when these moments tend to happen because they happen a lot in Cleveland sports. And I've been witness to most of them. But a couple of seconds later, I sort of sat down and I was like, oh, right, J.R. again, just being J.R. <laughs> That's built into what you get for JR. That's Manny being Manny to use a Boston sports reference. We both went to college in Boston. Pretty much. I mean, honestly, all of the little things kept on piling up. The charge call, the missed free throw, Draymond's lane violation, which was as blatant as anything I've ever seen. (laughs) And we can certainly get to that in the future. Then you have JR. Then you have LeBron freaking out, not calling a timeout. I mean, everything was just like sort of snowballing. The funny thing is I was sitting there watching the free throw attempt. Fingers crossed. God, I hope he misses. Maybe we'll get to go into overtime. And I was sitting there looking and JR basically looked like he had his back turned towards the play, like he wasn't paying attention to the shooter. And I was thinking he's not even going to get a good jump to try to get this rebound. And of course, the ball bounces right to him. And then I thought he was taking a dribble to like get away from Durant because Durant has eight foot arms to like chuck it up and he just kept going and going and going. It was like somebody had the controller in NBA jam going the wrong direction. And the guy's just like running towards the sideline. I was very confused. The thing with JR is that he doesn't shoot layups and he doesn't get into the paint. He wants to dribble out to the three point line, turn around and just flick something ridiculous shot up because that's what he does. So I thought he was taking it out. He's like, okay, I'm going to do my JR thing. I'm going to take it out. I'm going to go out real quick. I'm going to spin and I'm going to pop it up. And when he got out to the three-point line, I thought he was going to spin around and be like, all right, let's flip it up. Two seconds left. Let's do it. And he just kept on dribbling and dribbling and dribbling. And I was like, dude, there's no time left. What are you doing? And I said that. And I'm standing about two feet away in front of the TV, which is what happens when I get really nervous. I just get closer and closer to the TV because I feel like I can jump into the TV and just strangle someone's neck or be a part of the game. So I'm like screaming in front of the TV. I'm like, what just happened? Why didn't he shoot the ball? Like, there must be an explanation. And no, there's no explanation. That's J.R. Smith. My favorite part is he clearly looks at LeBron James and says, I thought we were ahead. 
And then in the post-game conference, he said, I knew what the score was. So like, not only did he get it wrong, but then he clearly got videotape saying, I didn't know what I was doing, and then lied about it in the post-game conference, which might be even more JR than actually dribbling the ball out. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that threw soup on an assistant coach this season. <laughs> and this is a guy that there was one game, I think it was last year or whatever against Boston. He didn't know he was in the game. He thought that he was either out of the game or the game was over. He looks like walking off the court. This is the same guy. But then because so many things had happened before that, the JR thing was just like one out of many. And the thing with JR, it's not like you can just, dude, you're done. It's like, no, we need you. There's no one else. I mean, they're going to put in Jetty Oseman. No. Who? Right. And they keep going back to him and back to him and back to him because we don't have anybody else. And when JR is mentally engaged, which was a crapshoot, he can be a very, very good defensive player. He can be a pest. He can knock down threes. He hustles. He plays really hard. But when he's mentally out of it, things like last night happen. And of course, why would he be engaged when there's a tie game in the NBA finals and he's got the rebound with four seconds left? Right. I mean, if what happens in the series that everybody thinks is going to happen and Golden State just rolls Cleveland, which is what everyone predicted anyway, and I think is probably still going to happen, it just goes up in the, on the list of Cleveland sports infamy. That's a perfect segue because this is supposed to be a baseball podcast. And, you know, we're trying something new this time and we're going to do a little cross sports collaboration. So give me the context. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. A, I want to know what it's like to be a Cleveland sports fan. I would say that the Giants have a good case to be the team of the decade. The Warriors are probably the team of the decade. There's no real college sports as much as I'm a big Cal football and basketball fan to speak of in the Bay Area. And the 49ers have been long suffering this decade, uh, you know, ever since Harbaugh left. But I want to know what it's like to be a Cleveland fan. Are you guys still feeling good about the championship in 2016? Give me the life for Cleveland fans these days. 2016 is still very, very real because it was so impossible and it was so unexpected and it was so completely out of nowhere. You say it was completely out of nowhere, but you have basically a religious figure playing every position on the court. LeBron James is one of the two best basketball players ever. He's from Cleveland. You had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. What do you mean it was out of nowhere? Listen, it was 3-1 in the series. And Golden State was on its way to being one of the best teams of all time. Yeah, and the NBA stepped in and suspended Draymond Green. Uh-huh, right. Okay, so another potential segue there. By the way, it's Draymond Green's fault and no one else's fault that he had, whatever, eight technicals leading up to that moment. So I don't want to hear it. Uh-huh. Anyway, when you're a Cleveland fan, you just expect the worst. You just do. Because up until that point, what was there that you could hang on to that, like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. This is going to work. There was nothing. As great as LeBron was up until that point, it still hadn't happened. 2007, they got swept. They got killed by San Antonio. The team that everyone loved was the 2009 team. They were one of the best teams of basketball, but completely overmatched against Orlando in the Eastern Conference Finals. 2010, the Celtics were sort of in the middle of their little run. It's like LeBron and everybody else, and it didn't happen. And then LeBron leaves, and you're like, well, that was awesome, but he's never coming back. Let me jump in and play devil's advocate here. I'm just going to talk about the Cavs for a second. Okay. They get the number one draft pick the year that 
a player from Akron, Ohio, who has the potential to be a generational talent is in the NBA draft. They make the NBA finals. They're competitive for years. He leaves and they get the number one draft pick two years in a row. And then this generational talent who's from Akron decides to get emotional, honestly, probably picks the most talented team he could get and come back to Cleveland. So now you have three first round draft picks in like an eight year span. You've gone to the finals once. You have a generational player that's played on your team for six out of 10 years, left and came back, and you ended up with an NBA championship. So where is all of this nothing ever goes right stuff for us? Like, how did all those players get onto the team if nothing goes right? Well, I'm giving you the mentality of the Cleveland fan up until that point, obviously. But you can't simply just shake 50 years of nothingness, 50 years of heartache, 50 years of agony with the potential that, okay, this could be great because it hadn't happened. Nobody had experienced it. It's like, how can you know what something feels like or expect something if you don't know what it is? You know, that feeling, that sensation, that belief was never there because it hadn't happened. All we knew was pain and agony and failure. And I'll jump back in for two reasons I understand what you're talking about. First off, I'm a Cal football fan. We haven't made a Rose Bowl in, I think, 53 years. And if they ever do make it to the Rose Bowl, I don't care if they win the Pac-12. I don't care if they're second. I don't care how they get in. I will go to that game and I will cry like a little baby because I just (laughs) don't think it's possible. Second off, the Giants went 56 years before they won a World Series, and we had gone to Game 7, got swept in 1989, like they were a competitive team and were always on the doorstep and always relatively competitive and just never got over the hump. And in 2010, when they won for the first time, A, they were a huge underdog, and B, the elation and disbelief that that could happen was palpable. I mean, it was just one of the more emotional, joyous things that's ever happened in my lifetime as a sports fan. So I I hear what you're saying. And I guess it's a little different for Giants fans in the sense that after the team won, they won two more championships as opposed to got to the doorstep and didn't come back. And that's why Cleveland, you know, the Cavaliers are interesting because it feels to me that the Cavaliers fan are like, oh, it's never going to happen. But it just did. Yeah, when it actually happened, it was so stunning and so shocking and so incredible that it just engulfed the region for really for the rest of the year, honestly, through the World Series that year, because that joy just kept on coming through. And then the Indians had that magical season in 2016, just kept on coming and coming and coming. It's like, we thought that this is the big turnaround. Like this is Cleveland's becoming like the epicenter of sports. Next thing is up is the Browns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's another whole podcast. Uh, There's hope. No, there's not. (laughs) (laughs) But again, like you're a San Francisco guy. At the bare minimum, you had the 49ers. I mean, that's a straight up dynasty, right? Yeah. You had something to fall back on. By the time the Giants won the World Series, so the last 49ers Super Bowl victory, I think was 1994. That was the Steve Young Super Bowl against the Chargers. So you're going 94 to 04, so 16 years between that and the Giants winning the World Series in 2010. So we weren't long-suffering by any means as a region. I mean, I understand it builds. Yeah, look, 52 years, and Cleveland is the smallest city to have three major sports teams. That's kind of another topic, too. Like, you know, are they able to support three sports teams? I mean, it would be devastating if we didn't have any of them. But again, 52 years without a championship. Who's the third team? Come on. 
Easy. <laughs> hey, the Browns were the team of the 50s, man. The truth is the Browns are an expansion team that never got going, right? Like the Browns became the Ravens who then won the Super Bowl. And then the expansion team has poor ownership and never got organized. And hopefully they're on the right track now. But it's been a disaster. It's been an absolute total and utter complete disaster. There's really no other way around it. The Browns are partially are one of the reasons why you have that Cleveland sports sort of malaise. I mean, it is the biggest reason why, because the Browns are the team in Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, the term taking the Cleveland Browns to the Super Bowl as a poop joke it's absurd. is all you need to know about how people think about Cleveland sports, you know, as being a pun. Listen, Cleveland is first and foremost a Browns town. Second, it is a high school football town. Third, it is an Ohio State town. And fourth, a very, 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 very close fourth, and they're all jumbled up, is a LeBron town. It's not an Indians town or a Cavs town. It's a LeBron town. But first and foremost, it's football. The Browns have been around since 1946, and football was born in Northeast Ohio. I mean, that's where it started. So football is everything. And because the Browns have been so bad, that just seeps into like, becomes like part of you. And despite the championship of 2016, as incredible as it was, it doesn't necessarily negate all of the other moments. It helps, believe me. But you still have the drive, the shot, the fumble, the 90s, 95, 97, you get the collapse against the Red Sox, the second collapse against the Red Sox. I mean, there's I could go on and on. So talk to me a little bit about the Indians. I, I sort of get the sense of the long-suffering fan, even though the team won, it still feels like it doesn't erase all of the troubles of being a sort of downtrodden sports town. For the record, I talk a lot of shit to my friends. Oh, I swore already. Sorry, Kate. Oh, uh, well. My buddy Adam's wife gave me a hard time for swearing too much on the podcast. I get it. Well, other than being a long-suffering sports town, and I talk a lot of trash to my buddies who are Cleveland friends. Shout out to my friend Ian K. Yeah, I have nothing against Cleveland. and people there I've met are nice. I've been to Cleveland for a wedding. It's fine. But tell me a little bit about the Indians. Talk some baseball to me. What's the vibe on the Indians this year? This year, the Indians are right in the middle towards the end-ish of that potential championship window. Um, they are absolutely a championship contender. They haven't started the season super well. The first month of the season, they couldn't hit. They were pitching lights out. The second month of the season, they were hitting like crazy and their bullpen just collapsed. Andrew Miller got injured, came back. He wasn't ready, went on the DL again. They've had a ton of injuries. Uh, their bullpen has just been an absolute disaster. But they're currently in first place. They've won six in a row. Their division is really weak. There's no reason that they shouldn't win the division and make the playoffs. And the playoffs are a crapshoot. You know, last year we were up to you oh, against the Yankees and Corey Kluber was not Corey Kluber. And that was the end of it. He got Corey clubbed. Yeah. You know, they absolutely have the talent to compete with the best teams in the AL. Are they as good as the Yankees and the Astros and the Red Sox? Probably not. But can they compete with them because of their pitching? Absolutely. So I have high expectations for the Indians. I think they should absolutely be in the playoffs and make a run, but they have to figure out the bullpen. You know, there's a strong parallel other than the bullpen being a little questionable, and that's something that you could solve at the trade deadline if you think you're going to be competitive. But there's a strong parallel between the early Giants teams and the Indians teams where they have probably more power than the Giants team had, but a deep lineup very strong starting pitching and they're the team that's probably going to make the playoffs and people think that they're just going to be competitive but I don't want to see Corey Kluber in the playoffs there's a bunch of people on the Cleveland staff that just easily could go in and win any given game and in the playoffs it's about who gets hot 
I think that they are absolutely set up to make a run at the World Series. But I don't remember the last time a torn up bullpen won a World Series. I don't know how that happens. How can you have a bullpen that doesn't get people out in the postseason? So they're going to have to figure that out. Yeah, that was the Giants problem in 2010. And they made the trade for Javier Lopez, another guy from Boston, Ramirez. Okay, I think they even pulled in one more person for the bullpen. I can't remember off the top of my head, but... Those were the big acquisitions of the second half of the season. It wasn't a power bat. It was the two guys that ended up being the seventh and eighth inning pitchers. We got the bats. I mean, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and Michael Brantley are three of the best in the game. They are one, two, three in the lineup. They are incredible. Lindor and Ramirez are just an unbelievable duo. Michael Brantley, who has basically been injured for the past two years, has just been lights out. He's been spectacular. So offensively, they're just loaded. And their top four pitching staff can compete with anybody. And I think there's an underrated part of the Cleveland team is their manager, right? Francona has been there. He's a great playoff manager. Oh, yeah. He won it with the Red Sox. And so when you look at the managers for the teams that they're competing against, you got Aaron Boone. Who knows what the hell that guy's doing? And Cores of the Red Sox. Yeah. Houston. Yeah, that guy. So, so clearly. <laughs> I mean, they won last year. So obviously they kind of have an idea what they're doing. So yeah, Kluber's as good as anybody. Carrasco is basically as good as anybody. When he's on? Yeah, when he's on, which this year he's pretty much been on. Mike Clevenger is coming into his own. He's been fantastic. And Trevor Bauer has had a fantastic year so far. He's a total head case, but that's another long story. But he's been fantastic this year. UCLA grad. But yeah, their top line starters can compete with anybody. I mean, baseball is such a long season. Last year, they were mostly scuffling until they went on that 22-game winning streak. And that was what propelled them into the playoffs. And unfortunately, it didn't hold. So for the Giants fans that are listening, tell us what else we need to know about the American League. How do you feel about your competition? Well, the American League Central is terrible, so you need to know absolutely nothing about our division. Every team except the Indians are below 500. The Yankees and the Red Sox are just beating each other up. Gluttony is the word I think of when it comes to the Yankees. Yeah, right. The Yankees are loaded. Um, And the Astros are the defending champs. And until somebody knocks them off, they're as good as anybody. Those are the big four. As far as any up-and-coming teams... I don't see anyone outside of those four making the World Series. I mean, that's pretty much what you need to know. But that's where the big-time talent is. Yeah, it's loaded at the top. I think that Seattle is a couple games over 500 right now. I'm not sure if I believe in them. I think actually Oakland might be a couple games over 500, too, or close to it. And that's definitely a young and hopefully up-and-coming team for my buddy John Wilson. But I don't see any of the other NL West teams coming out. Maybe the Anaheim Angels could be competitive. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you got the whole Otani story. It's a great story. That Trout is unbelievable. I mean, it's a shame to see him sort of wasting away in Anaheim, not being able to get on the biggest stage. I would hope at some point that he's going to get that opportunity because he's unbelievable. And how could you not root for a guy whose name is Pujols? (laughs) Yeah, Pujols. I mean, that contract, whether they owe him another $60 million or something? Like $2 billion. It's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's top heavy. I mean, again, the Yankees, Houston, Sox, Indians, one, two, three, four. They're close. But you know how it is in Boston. I mean, they're Red Sox crazy. Yeah. And they have reason to be. The Red Sox are really good. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, the old cliche, the playoffs are a total crapshoot. So just get in. So it sounds like there is hope for Cleveland fans, whether it's the odd chance that the Cavs win four games out of the next six in the NBA Finals, but it looks like the Indians have a puncher's chance at a World Series. So before I let you go, give me two minutes on whether LeBron is the best player of all time. Here's what I think about LeBron. I don't think that any player 
has had to bear the burden that he has had to bear over these years. I'm not talking about just the team. I'm talking about the organization. I'm talking about the city. I'm talking about the region of Northeast Ohio. LeBron James has had the entire region of Northeast Ohio on his back for 15 years, even when he was in Miami. And I don't think there's ever been an athlete as scrutinized, analyzed, broken down, criticized as LeBron James. Is he the greatest of all time? If he can get a couple other notches on his belt, another championship or two, I think it's a hands-down argument. I think he gets one more somewhere. I don't know where that is. I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast and the J.J. Reddick podcast, both part of the Ringer podcast network, which is something that we at For the Fans, By the Fans appreciate very much. It's a little bit of how we modeled our show. And their argument was that it's harder to play basketball now than it's ever been. So if Jordan played against LeBron, A, LeBron has him by 80 pounds, he would take him down to the block and dunk on him. And that with very minimal supporting staff, with the exception of his years in Miami, LeBron has made the finals, what is it, eight straight years? Eight years in a row, yeah. Right. And then next year with the Lakers. (laughs) (laughs) He's not making it with the Lakers. (laughs) I just don't see the Lakers. It doesn't make any sense unless there has to be somebody else in the deal. I think Houston and Philly make the most sense. So before we go there, how does this finals play out? Uh, Man, I have a hard time believing that LeBron is going to be swept. I think he's going to play until the last second. He's going to give you everything he has. I think realistically we lose in five. If LeBron pulls this off. He's the greatest player ever. Yeah. Because he's going to have to average 55 points. Basically. And it's absurd. The worst thing about today was the fact that everybody was talking about JR and the refereeing and everything. Nobody was talking about LeBron James scoring 51 points, which is unbelievable. What he's done this postseason is unprecedented. Jordan never did it. He never had to do it. But I think game two is a must win if we want any shot to win the whole thing. I don't think we're going to get swept. But man, last night was just brutal. It's somewhere between four to six games, in my opinion. So LeBron loses. And honestly, I say LeBron loses and not the Cavs because they're the Cleveland LeBrons as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Pretty much. I think me, you, Kirk, and I don't know, somebody else from the frat house could probably play about as much defense as the other four scrubs that were on the court with LeBron yesterday. Yes. Although ironically, defensively, I thought they were really good yesterday. Um, Golden State missed a lot of shots, but they made a lot of plays that they haven't been making. They made a lot of mistakes, but you're holding in regulation, you hold Golden State to 100 points, something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. I'll take those odds. But you're just waiting for the Golden State onslaught. You know it's going to happen. It happened in overtime last night, right? You got the onslaught. It's like bang, 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 bang. It's over. I mean, that didn't really happen yesterday. The Cavs were able to hang around, hang around, hang around. Yeah. It's a tall task, man. Golden State is just loaded. So with the assumption that the Warriors win the finals, where do you think LeBron ends up next year? I think the two most logical destinations are Philly and Houston. First of all, LeBron doesn't owe Cleveland anything. He kept his promise. He did it. Any Cleveland fan that is upset or disappointed, disappointed is fine, but upset or mad or angry if he leaves has no business feeling that way. Honestly, that's the way I feel. LeBron deserves to go somewhere where he doesn't have to carry a franchise, where he can step in, be a major part, but not the part of a team that has a chance to compete for a championship immediately. He deserves that. So Philadelphia and Houston make the most sense from a basketball standpoint. Could there be a wild card? I could see the Spurs going in there. There's no way Philadelphia mortgages their future with what they have 
They're going to stunt the growth of their two superstars, and they have potentially the next LeBron James and Ben Simmons on their team. So I don't think Philadelphia is a reasonable place for him to go. I think it's bad for the young player's growth. I think they have a chance of winning the championship without him. I think Houston could potentially be a fit. It's a little bit of a stretch for me. But if Philly wants to compete against Boston, they're going to need someone like LeBron. I don't think they're going to be able to compete against Boston with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward next year. I think that's way too much to ask. With LeBron James, potentially they can do it. And according to Chris Boussard, my favorite NBA analyst, who is also from Northeast Ohio, he said that LeBron is willing to play off the ball, meaning that Ben Simmons can still be the distributor playmaker. His growth doesn't get stunted. LeBron can play in a different position. But what do I know? I think he's going to Los Angeles. I think they have pieces to get rid of, that they'll have the cap space for him and Paul George. And he's going to go, he's got houses in Brentwood. He's going to go live in LA. He's going to play with Lonzo Ball, bringing the ball up, facilitating. They'll still have uh, Ingram. It'll be James. They'll get rid of Randall. Kuzma is still probably there. Like that's going to be a deep team. It's going to be a deep team. He doesn't go there without Paul George. Uh, He has to go there with somebody else. He's not going there on his own. Has to be Paul George. But even in that scenario, I think the Warriors are still a better team. I think if he goes to Houston, they absolutely positively are neck and neck. Again, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, who knows? I have a hard time seeing Harden and LeBron James playing well together. Great players. LeBron just figures it out. That's what he's done his whole career. He figures it out. All right. Before I let you go, I'm going to send you out on one note. The NBA stands by their block call. L2M report confirms refs made the correct call when changing bronze call into a blocking foul. So on that note... NBA made the right decision. Does absolutely nothing for me. It never should have come down to that. Never should have gone to replay. The referees need to make their call on the floor. And the fact that they went to the monitors anyway is ridiculous. He was like two feet out of the circle. They weren't going to the monitor to look at the block the block jars. They were looking at something else and they were like, oh, maybe it was a block. Maybe we should change it. Okay, buddy, let's do that. Let's alter the outcome of the game and perhaps the entire series. And perhaps LeBron James's legacy by making this call. That's what they did. It's a first for the FTF BTF podcast. We talked a little basketball and we saw somebody's face turn purple arguing a block charge call. And that wraps up today's show. And our plan is to do this every week. And sometimes we're going to talk baseball. We might talk a little basketball. We're going to mix in some other sports moving forward. But this is primarily going to be a Giants podcast. So if you want more Giants baseball in your podcast feed, click that subscribe button. Since we're just getting started, we'd love for you to give us a rating in the Apple iTunes store. Or you can send us your questions at forthefansbythefans.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search FTFBTF. Thanks again to our friends at Fanatics. If you're going to go buy your Giants gear, if you're going to go buy your Warriors gear, or if you're going to go buy your LeBron James and the LeBronettes gear, go to ftfbtf.com fanatics, and our friends at Fanatics will kick us a couple of bucks to help produce this show. That's it for this time. Go Dubs and go Giants. And until next time, swing and a miss, and that's it. 